Hello film lovers and welcome to the place where anything can happen. Yes, hold on to your hats. It's time for the Films I Love Most podcast live. Hello. I've got some uh, sound effects uh, ready. What's going on? What's landing in your garden right now? It's me. <laughs> Don't you go whizzing off in that freaking TARDIS. <laughs> How are Hello. you, darling? Hello. Hello. How are you all doing? I'm so freaking excited for this. Oh, yeah. I've um, been watching Doctor Who all yeah. day. Have you? Yes. That's great. I can't wait to see yeah. if we get some Doctor Who Whovians in. To have a I know, me too. I'm going to say to you now, and I did warn you at the time when we were arranging this chat, I am an encyclopedia <laughs> when it comes to this subject. I've got no notes in front of me. I don't need them. <laughs> this is all locked inside my head. So if you have any um, questions that you want to ask me, or maybe there's something about the series that you want to, uh, you know, discuss and, you know, maybe have a chat about, please do, because I am open for business. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm pretty, you, I think I'm pretty clued up on, like, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, a little bit of P- Peter Capaldi, and now, from today... A little bit of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Oh. Um, but um, I'm interested to know more so about things. Those, like, you know, I've got a list of, like, my favourite assistants, favourite episodes, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure you'll be able to supply far more information about them, which I'm excited for. Okay, well, the thing is, I also am a huge fan of the classic series. Yes. So I can fill you in on all of the all the little references from the new series that you might not have discovered because you uh, are not as clued up. Not you. I mean, people aren't as clued yeah, up yeah. with the original yeah, yeah. as they are with the new series. I can clear those up because I have watched Doctor Who since I was born because my dad was a huge fan, had the whole <laughs> VHS collection and then obviously the whole DVD collection. And I'm now collecting the classic series on Blu-ray because I'm a fool. And I can't help it. <laughs> you know what I watched uh, yesterday in preparation for this chat? I watched a 40-minute video on the history of Doctor Who. Like okay. a timeline. Like. Yeah. So yeah, I know so a little bit about to, it. Yeah, you'll be able to nod in agreement and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything he's saying is completely true. Uh, if you are a yeah. Doctor Who fan, guys, if you are listening, please do give us a little clap. Because we want to know if there's any Whovians out there that are listening to our chat. And you can also discuss your favourite episodes. uh, Because that's what we would like to know. What are your favourite episodes of the longest running sci-fi series ever? It's in the Guinness World Book of Records. 
It is the longest running science fiction series in the world. So it's crazy, isn't it? It's be yeah. So um, let me just give a little bit of background very quickly. And remember, this is all off the top of the head, so uh, bear with me. But Doctor Who was first broadcast on November the twenty third, nineteen sixty three. Now, the first episode of an an unearthly child. That was what the very first episode was called. And yes. they had to repeat. They had to repeat the first episode the following week. Because the day before the first episode, um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, God. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, no one watched the first episode, really, mm. because everyone was obviously watching the news and were, was in mourning for, uh, for the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So they decided to repeat the, the first episode. But not only did they decide to repeat it, they, they decided to go back and refilm the whole thing. I did that. Because they weren't happy with some of the creative decisions that were made in that first episode. So they went back and filmed it. Uh, for an example, there's a line in it where the Doctor's granddaughter said that they are from the year, uh, the 51st century. Right. Which obviously took a lot of mystery out of their characters. So they changed that mm. to they are from a distant planet um, in, you know, in, the, in, in another galaxy. So they changed that line because <laughs> they didn't want to limit themselves. Um, yeah. Yes. So, also the um, the first four episodes of the of the Doctor Who ever were about cavemen and the oh, creation really? of fire. Yeah. So it was the Doctor that oh, um, wow. the fire for mankind. Um, bit of an odd one. Not going to lie. Not the best story ever. But the very first episode is probably one of the most creepiest things you'll ever see. Creepy. <laughs> It's very creepy. Anyway, um, so there was the four episodes. And mind you, Doctor Who was only supposed to run for 13 episodes. And now it's the the longest standing sci-fi series. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was it became a huge success. The first four episodes, um, if that had been like the representation of Doctor Who, it would not have been renewed for a second season Mm -hmm. uh, in the UK. The thing that completely changed um, the the board for Doctor Who was the introduction of the Daleks. Yes, they are a fan or a firm favourite, aren't they? Yeah, well, well, the Daleks were introduced in uh, in the second story of Doctor Who. So this is 1964, the Daleks were introduced. And um, in a story called The Daleks, originally enough... um, and was it did, yeah, was Davros in that episode? No, Davros didn't come to it for years and years later. So the very original story was the the TARDIS lands on Scaro, the Daleks' home planet, and it's yeah. sort of set in the future of the Daleks. So you know the Daleks that we see now, um, the the Doctor sort of um, meets them way way in their future. So. Yeah, it's an interesting story. It's a story about pathesis. Path- I can't say the word now. Um, being a pathesis. No, what's the word? Path. I can't say the word. Help me. What, what word like are you war. trying to say? When you don't like war, you're a pathesist. Oh, oh God. I, um, I can't say the word. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, <laughs> but I don't know the word. <laughs> I won't lie to you. I've had a gin and tonic. A pacifist? Pacifist. Pacifist. That's the one. Pacifist. Guys, yeah. Rewind. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's a story about that. It's a story about um, you know, because because a lot of people look at the Daleks and they think that a Dalek is a robot, but it's not. It's just a casing that houses yeah. um, an evil, nasty, squid-like creature that was actually um, the creation of Davros, like you mentioned. Yeah, um, they were born from the fact that their race was dying. Uh, so Davros accelerated that their race originally looked like us. We they looked like human beings, but um, with the race dying, he accelerated um, the evolution in a in their race, and they became a Dalek, and therefore putting them inside a casing, which became uh, the silhouette um, of a Dalek, which is iconic yeah. now. And um, from from my history that I've I've researched, um, Davros was um, he'd lost two legs. He lost an arm and he lost his ability to see, I believe. And that's why he's got yeah. that casing. He's got the bottom half of a Dalek because he lost his legs in something, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, so he had the bottom half of that of the casing like originally. before yeah. they He even find Dalek. So he was yeah. a bit of a, you know, bit of a you know, pompous idiot, he tried to design the Dalek to look like him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that's what he did. Yeah. Like he, he sort of blended it in. But, um, yeah, so the Daleks exploded in the in the 1960s. There was Dalek mania. There was, like, a whole range of merchandise uh, up from Dalek soap to Dalek slippers. There were two movies made of uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Um, I did not so know that. Big budget. Yeah, Hollywood movies starring Peter Cushing as the Doctor. Uh, Bernard Cribbins is actually in one of them as a companion. Uh, very young, obviously. I think this was in 1960... I mean, I'm going to say 66-67. So these two um, films were made. Uh, huge budget. It was the first time that Doctor Who and the Daleks appeared in colour. So mm-hmm. like, it was a big deal at the time. Uh, the Daleks were you know, much bigger, much scarier. They fired... They were originally meant to fire um, flames in in that original movie, but they ended up having oh, really? fire um, fire extinguishers, yeah, because they thought it was too scary for the kids to have mm. like Dalek shooting flames. So those films were massively popular. They made the sequel, which was the Dalek Invasion of Earth. They were both based on TV stories, mm. so they just you know with them. with the Daleks. I, it took me a while to get into them, if I'm being honest. Like, I started watching, obviously, um, when Christopher Eccleston um, rebooted sort of The Doctor. Um, and from the if, when you first look at them and you have no knowledge of Doctor Who whatsoever uh, and they've got a plunger and a whisk, you're like, what is this? They're not scary at all. But the way, yeah. that, the, the way that they've portrayed throughout the series, you're like, shit, these guys are scarier heck like i think you have to look at the fact that they were literally doing it on a very very small budget originally Mm. i mean i think that i think to build a dalek they had about like two thousand pounds you know which was you know shit money now and shit money then to to build like six daleks back then it would be impossible so i think they had to keep the design simple and it is a sink plunger but you know in the new series they do a lot with that which i really enjoy um, yeah, they hack the so computers it, and stuff with it, don't they? Yeah, and they squash people's heads now. <laughs> like they crush oh, people's God. heads with them. It's, yeah, there's an episode, <laughs> I think it's um, Army of Ghosts, where the Daleks crush a guy's head with their with mm-hmm. their um, suckers. 
But uh, yes, the first Doctor, William Hartnell, um, got very, very sick uh, near the ending of his time. And Mm. they sort of panicked a little bit and thought, well, this show is really popular. But at the same time, um, we can't continue with William Hartnell being the Doctor. He's too ill. His wife has said that that he's not well enough to do it anymore. So what are we going to do? Cancel the series when it's at its height? So they came up with an ingenious idea that the Doctor was going to die and then he had the power to regenerate into somebody else. Which, at the time, if they hadn't done that, if they hadn't made that, like, inspired decision, Doctor Who would have ended with William Hartnell. Yeah. I've got some questions about that because I've literally just watched an episode, I think it's in season 10? Um, And uh, the guy who plays Filch in Harry Potter... It, it plays the first doctor yeah. and comes back, which was really interesting. Yeah. But we've got a couple of um, comments. So before we move on, shall we listen to these, see if there's on yeah, the same yeah, topic? You're in charge of the comments, by the way. Um, unpopular cool. opinion, but one of my favourite doctors is Paul McGann, the ninth doctor who was only ever in the movie. Um, and it's not just because he's so handsome. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Hold that thought because we're going to get through down to the Eighth Doctor very soon. I'm just doing a very brief, like, potted history of Doctor Who mm-hmm. before we start talking about stories and things. But um, I love the fact that you like the um, the Eighth Doctor, Paul McGann. That's really, really cool. Uh, we'll get to him very, very shortly. Okay. So with the Daleks, just a quick question. Did <coughs> they release many comics very much like what Marvel and DC do? Is um Is there a lot of sort of a comic mania as well yes there was there was um i think it was called tv century 20 or something 21st century or something 20 i think it was tv century they released a lot of dalek comics called the daleks and it saw the daleks you know without the doctor going around invading uh planets they used to they had like hovercrafts that they used to get around on um, so yeah, Daleks in the early days during Dalek Mania were huge in the uh, the comic industry and every other industry really. There is um, actually a magazine out right now. You can probably go to uh, WH Smiths or get it on eBay like I did, um, which is a compilation of all those Dalek comics. I think it's like nine ninety nine, and you get the whole thing. So if you're really interested in comics and Daleks, it's literally like the best thing that you can get because it's fantastic thank you blake for your question lovely to see you blake um so glad that you're on stereo me and blake used to work together years and years ago and he's a good guy so if you're not following blake please do because he's a lovely lad um well did you have any more questions sorry ava um so yeah i was it was just um going back to the first doctor and he's he's come back now so um the first doctor in in the latest episode in in season 10 he didn't want to regenerate now i didn't quite understand why he didn't want to so i mean the history of doctor who now i mean we'll we'll get to it but um i mean i don't know I want to do spoilers because I think it's really important when we get to the end of like this potted history that we mm. talk about the latest series. Are you okay to talk about the late the, the latest series with Jodie Whittaker? Yes, yeah, yeah. I've been mass- watching some episodes today. Happened. Yeah, well, something massive happens in um in the last episode of uh, the series that she's just uh, finished. So we'll talk about that. Is this Jadoon? Because... The Jadoon episode. 
it, yeah, um, yeah, but it's after that as well. There was, oh, okay, uh, okay. A big, a big revelation. But we'll talk okay. about that when we get to the 13th yeah. Doctor. But um, so the Doctor, I mean, it was never hinted at in uh, the 10th Planet, which was the first Doctor's last story that he had any problem with regenerating. I think it was probably the fact that they just wanted to have a link between Peter Capaldi's Doctor and the first Doctor, the, the, like the fact that they both didn't want to regenerate. Like, oh, yes. you know, they both okay. sort of didn't want to go on. And if you think it's like, the, it would have been the first time for William Hartnell's Doctor, mm. the first Doctor to regenerate. So maybe there was fear in there. You know, he was scared. He didn't quite know. He didn't want to be someone else. Because can you imagine, like, um, dying and then coming back, but your personality was completely different and you had to try and work out who you were from scratch. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, did... Yeah, so this is... That's a question that I had as well, is... um So that was his first regeneration ever um so yeah. did he have any prior knowledge of what regenerations involved or did he was it so unknown that like he, we he was scared of what to expect we didn't as an audience but he did we didn't as, as an audience they had no idea what was going on and i can i can right. um like confirm this with my parents who were both doctor who fans from a very young age who said that when they saw that episode they were like, what? Like, what is happening? Because to them, mm. he was dying. Do you know what mm. I mean? And then he came back the following week, played by uh, Patrick Troughton, who was the second Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I mean, there was nothing ever hinted at in the stories before that the Doctor could do that. But there is a line that William Hartnell says in The Tenth Planet that, um, you know, he's dying and he says, you know, it's far from being all over. So I, I'm assuming that that line basically means he knew that he was going to regenerate. OK, interesting. Good to know. Yeah. I've watched these episodes probably about 13,000 times. So <laughs> if I do quote lines as well, you could be like, gook. Um, yeah. So moving on in history, William Hartnell was now regenerated into Patrick Troughton. I believe it's 1966 that we get here. There was two companions that crossovered with him, uh, Ben and Polly, you know, typical 1960s. They were basically like the Billy Piper and like, uh, like the, the Rose and Martha or Rose yes. and Mickey, do you know, of the day, because like in the swing in 60s. Um, but they sort of carried over, you know, they were there to be like the eyes of the audience and go, what's yes. happening, Doctor? Why is this happening to you? Um, yeah. I think the genius thing, and um, I, I just want to add this in very quickly, the, ge- the most genius thing about that regeneration was the fact that uh, Patrick Troughton played it so beautifully and it, like he basically trolled the audience for that whole for his whole first story, going, "Am I the Doctor? Aren't I the Doctor? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not." Um, so it was really interesting how they did that, and they had like Ben and Polly going, um, "Well, he acts like the Doctor, uh, but he it doesn't look like him, and there's different personalities." So it was really interesting how they played with that. But yeah. also, what was great was they brought the Daleks back in his very first story, which then obviously had the Doctor up against an enemy that he knew very well yeah. so therefore you know it helped the audience get to know the character but i will say um they are doing um I'll, I'll just add this in quickly the bbc in all of their you know great brilliance um didn't bother to check whether every single doctor who episode from the 1960s still existed before they started to clear out on white videotapes which oh, they filmed no. at the time so there is about 90 episodes of, of 1960s Doctor Who missing from the archive, never to wow. be seen again. 
But what they are doing at the moment is, and you can buy them on DVD. There's low, there's, I think there's maybe six or seven or eight. They're using really, really good animation to animate these missing stories. Wow. So Power of the Daleks, which was Patrick Troughton's first story, was one of those stories that was completely missing. There was nothing left apart from a couple of clips. Yeah. Uh, but they've managed to completely and utterly um, animate the whole thing. And it looks and sounds brilliant. And because they used to have off-air recordings, so they would film it, but there'd be off-air recordings. So they had all the, like, the audio of the episodes, but just not the visuals. Right. So it's a good thing that they had that off-air recording, yeah. otherwise that they would just, they wouldn't exist at all. Yeah. So the animations are great. You can get Power of the Daleks. You can get pre- a pretty much um, nearly every single missing Patrick Troughton story now is has been animated, apart from the two that they're bringing out later next year. So that's a great thing that they're doing that because fans like me who have never seen those stories are actually getting to see, you know, what they could have been like when they were on the TV. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, I and this is a bad quality that I have, um, but um, I, I tend to judge things from the way they look. Um, so old television series and old films, they're very, you know, they look really old and they're really fuzzy and it makes me a bit uninterested. Mm. Um, sure. But so having them animated and worked in a new way i think i'd be interested in watching that and that'll probably like spur other people to watch it as well yeah definitely what i love about the animations is that they're animating them in black and white and color so if you're a purist like i am you can watch the black (laughs) black and white version but if you want a little bit like more modernism in there you can watch the color version so there is a choice but i always like watching it in black and white the classic series because that is obviously how it was made but i find it so much more creepier in black and white yeah so creepy yeah Um, because it's like an it's like an alien world but um they called the patrick trout era the monster era because a lot of those classic monsters that that they brought back in the um in the new series are from the Troughton era, like the great yeah. intelligence, which was, who was, that was played by um, Richard E. Grant in the new series in the yeah. Christmas special. Um, that was a Patrick Troughton mon- uh, monster. You've got the ice warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a Patrick Troughton monster originally. So you had quite a lot of um, really inspired sort of monsters and creations in Patrick Troughton's era it was also the base under siege era so a lot of the Patrick Troughton stories were people stuck you know somewhere being terrorized by a monster and the doctor was the only one that could get them out so that really um that really helped with the budget as well because obviously Mm. the budget wasn't great so if you just build like one set that's going to last a whole six episodes that works so much better than having to make loads of different sets so yeah the base of the siege worked for Patrick Troughton. Um, awesome. at, I just want to, I just want to say up to this point, we had never heard the word time Lord and we'd never heard the word Gallifrey. So we oh, still really? didn't know where the doctor came from. Yeah. Oh. The, the doctor, the who in the, in the title was still like, who is he? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who is the doctor? We still didn't know. So there's some great stories in Patrick Troughton's era. Uh, if you want to go back, if you, ha- oh, I just want to say, if you have BritBox, which is a subscription, um, a streaming platform, they have every single classic episode of Doctor Who on there. And that's, that's where I've been watching it recently because uh, I just think it's great that you can just flick through and watch like pretty much every single episode without having to 
pick up a disc, put a disc in, close it, oh. open the disc again. <laughs> I'm being really lazy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, um, I, I do have a sorry, question. Go. Sorry, I do have a question about no. the doctor's granddaughter, but I don't know whether okay. it's worth asking that now or later. I'm not quite sure. But I'm a bit confused oh. by the concept. I know it was like the first episode and whatever in the first season. Um, yeah. But I didn't think the doctor was married. I didn't think he had children. The doctor's granddaughter has never been explained. We know that she's called right. Susan. She was the very first companion. She travelled with William Hartnell. There has been so much in the expanded universe of Doctor Who. Because Doctor Who is not just a TV show. You have to remember this. It's mm. a book series. It's an audio series. It's a comic book series. You know, there are, like, different versions of Doctor Who all over. They all interconnect with each other. They're all, like, the same story. But when you have a series that goes on for so long, there's bound to be continuity errors. So yes. Susan is an interesting one because, you know, we don't know if she is the, the actually the Doctor's granddaughter or if he just calls her that. We don't know if the Doctor had children. We don't know, like, his family situation. Okay. So what we, so what we can assume is that they might be related uh, or, you know, maybe, like, family in some way, but granddaughter might be like used as a different term by yes. time lords that it is than it is by humans so am i right know. in thinking that he hadn't spent much time on earth at this point when he first started when when the yes, series so first 19... started yes in 1963 um the story was the the very first episode of doctor who was set in 1963 and um the doctor was there with susan just to basically because she wanted to get a like an education she wanted to like go to school so that's oh, why okay. uh, they were there in the first place and that's also why the TARDIS looks like a phone box because yes. there's a thing in a TARD in the TARDIS called a chameleon circuit which is meant to blend the TARDIS with its surroundings so if it landed in Egypt it would become like a pyramid if it landed in you know Antarctica it would look like an iceberg but unfortunately when it landed in 1963 london it and it disguised itself as a police box which were very popular in those days the chameleon circuit broke and the doctor just never got around to fixing it again well i so, i heard so i i did do some uh, this was discussed in that video that i um looked up and there's a theory um that um it did get fixed at some point um or something like that but the but the phone box does change slightly over time, obviously, with newer series yeah. coming out, etc. So they think that the um, the TARDIS sort of likes the phone box um, and just like updates so. itself every now and again. So yes, it was stuck, but it might so. be fixed now. But the TARDIS still chooses mm. to look like a phone box, which is interesting. I like the idea story... that the TARDIS has a personality and a and a life to it. Yeah, sure. There was a story in the um, the eighties with uh, Colin Baker, the sixth mm. Doctor, where they tr they tried it out, where the Doctor fixed the chameleon circuit for like one episode, but when it landed on different places, it was like completely inappropriate what the TARDIS was turning itself into. <laughs> so the Doctor decided the Doctor decided to break it again, yeah, because and have it have it go back to being a police box because. Uh, yeah, it didn't quite work out. That me. sounds so, funny. I like the idea of that. I mean, it's that. funny, but it's also very odd, and it's also very 80s, but we're, we're, we're going to yeah. get to the 80s very shortly. And, um, yeah, um, cool. we'll get We've to the got 80s a... and the, 
the death of Doctor Who. Cool. We've got a comment. So let's, uh, sure, let's, let's uh, press this one. I'm no expert on Doctor Who, but is the TARDIS not a police box, not a phone box? No, it's a time machine. Time and space. TARDIS <laughs> stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. Sorry, I think he, I think he meant um, it's a police telephone box, isn't it? And we were saying either uh, phone police, box or police yeah, box. Police I think public, he was asking a police public call box. They called it. They yeah. call the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. So police public call box. Um, yeah. So that's basically it. The TARDIS was meant to be able to change its surroundings, but unfortunately, um, it broke. But you're right. I think the TARDIS does enjoy being a police box more than anything. Definitely. Mm. Because, um, you know, why would it keep changing? The, the reason, I mean, the obvious reason is why it looks differently, like the police box looks different, is because the the, the prop changes. Do you know what I mean? Like if a yeah. prop gets damaged, they have to build a new one. They don't necessarily build it to look exactly like, like you know, the same thing. So yeah. that's why it changes. But it is fu- it is funny how they do that, but um, yeah, that's the TARDIS. So we're we're in Patrick Troughton's era now. We've got the the Doctor's travelling with uh, Jamie and Zoe. Um, there's a great story, and I would ask anyone to check it out. It's called The Mind Robber, and it's a story where the Doctor and his companions get um, get kidnapped and put into a reality of fiction. So they come up against lots of classic literature characters, oh. literacy characters. Um, it's good. They they face like Medusa. They face like um, a unicorn, you know, <laughs> uh, Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels, Rapunzel. Do you know what I mean? They meet all of these uh, characters, but they're not real. You know, they're in this um, yeah. alternative world. And it's a great like rollicking adventure. Really good. Um, oh, really that wholesome. sounds awesome! So I can watch. Yeah. So we can watch that on BritBox. Yeah, we? you can watch that on BritBox. It's called The Mine Robber, and then the story Mind that comes Robber. directly after that um, is called The Invasion, which is uh, absolutely brilliant. It's like a, at the time it was like a contemporary thriller, and yeah. um, this isn't a twist because obviously this came out in 1968, I believe. But um, you, you think that it's just a thriller about. Um, a mad guy who's trying to build devices to control people in the world. But it has one of the best twists in Doctor Who that the Doctor breaks into the warehouse where he thinks that these um, devices are being made. And there's like a pod and the pod is activated uh, whilst the Doctor is in the warehouse and a Cyberman breaks out. <gasps> oh, it's, it's one of those moments in uh, in Doctor Who where you're like, hey, there you go. That's a monster reveal for you right there. But, and um, um, what was the Cyberman um, within that um, era that you, th- this era that you spoke about, the monster era? Yeah. Was it after? So the yeah. Cybermen, Cybermen actually made their first appearance in the very last William Hartnell story, The Tenth Planet. Ah, okay. That is why, um, you know, there's like a really close link between when the Mondasian, what they called the Mondasian Cybermen came back in uh, Peter Capaldi's era, it was mm-hmm. quite ironic that the ne- in the following episode after those Cybermen had featured, it was the episode when he met the first Doctor again. So that was that was like a very loose link there. Oh, okay. 
So we've got Patrick Troughton, we've got uh, The Mind Robber, The Invasion, but then after that comes The War Games. Now, The War Games is about um, the this group of hyper-intelligent beings that are kidnapping soldiers from different periods of time, different wars, and putting them together in a game to fight off against each other to find out who is the ultimate warriors. Or like back, So they kidnap people from World War II, they kidnap people from like you know the time of Genghis Khan, and they have like yes. these war games going on. Yeah, very, really good. A very good story. But I think it's, I think it's like the second or third longest Doctor Who story. I think it's ten episodes, which is a hell of a lot of episodes. But it does really carry wow. it off. But it does um, feature. You do find out that the guy who's in charge of the war games is a Time Lord from the Doctor's planet, and that is the first time that Time Lords are mentioned in the series ah okay is this the master or no because the master was no, in no, the no, old no, series this, yeah we're, get, we're gonna get to the master very like literally yeah. like in the next minute but um it's he's called the warlord i think the okay. time lord in um in the war games is called the warlord um anyway at the at the conclusion of the story the doctor realizes that the that the, uh, the threat is too big for him to deal by himself he's gonna have to call upon uh the time lords for help and he does mm-hmm. knowing that if he does, they're gonna, the Time Lords are going to... Um, because he he it has committed a crime against the Time Lords where he interferes with other races and times, which he's not allowed to do. Right. Uh, but he has been, obviously, from the very beginning of the series. So what he gets I... captured. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Uh, I've got questions. No, 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 no. no. Um, no please, the... please do, please do. <laughs> um what I discovered within this um, timeline thing was that, uh, well, I, this is why I'm asking you, is it right that the um, time war against the, the Time Lords and the Daleks hadn't happened yet? No. So the time war uh-huh. comes very much later on. But I will tell you, there's a very pinnacle uh, Doctor Who story in the 1970s that predicted the time war. But when we get uh-huh. there, uh, I'm okay. definitely going to tell you all about that. Don't worry. Yeah, because really my pre- my presum- my presumption. So I had a lot. Of, so before I watched this timeline, I only knew obviously about the newer series, etc., and what was in that. But I, my presumption was that the time war had happened, like even before the first Doctor. So it yeah. was interesting, no, like learning these new things. So yeah, carry sure. on, carry on. Oh, we've got a so, comment. Um, Should I press the comment first? Yeah. Uh, let me just get to the end of the war games very quickly because otherwise cool. I'll lose my track of thought. But with the war games, um, the doctor asks the time lords for help, but then he's captured by them and put on trial oh. for interfering in other worlds and other races. And he's found <laughs> guilty. And his punishment is that his two companions, Jamie and Zoe, are going to be returned back to their time and place with their mm-hmm. memories wiped of the doctor so they won't remember who he is. Mm-hmm. So, so that happens. And then uh, the doctor, doctor is going to be exiled to Earth and have his, and have his uh, appearance changed. Oh. So that's the punishment the Doctor gets for his interference. Exiled to Earth and have his appearance changed. And that happens. Um, and then in the, very, in the next episode, which will be the first Doctor Who episode in colour on the TV... Uh, the Doctor then regenerates into, like, probably one of my f- favourite Doctors, John Pertwee. Okay, interesting. 
we'll pause it there and then you can see the comment Let, if you'd like. yeah let's see the comment oh wow yeah doctor who that's yeah favorite tv show ever yeah i, I guess my current favorite is uh, twice upon a time but that's because it brings together you know classic and modern who in a really nice story and uh, i just want to bring up one thing I love watching is all the YouTube reactions to Doctor Who and how many times the, uh, the YouTubers uh, end up crying, you know, uh, you know just watching Doctor Who. Oh, just te tears of joy and sadness. I don't think any other TV show really does that on a consistent basis. Absolutely. The fans are so passionate about the series, like I am, because um, I was talking to someone about this the other day and I was saying that the reason why Doctor Who for me is so... Um, special and ingrained in me is that I didn't really have like a father figure growing up that you know I could put my complete and utter like trust in and I had a role model here of the doctor he's a role model he's a guy that doesn't use violence doesn't use bad language doesn't use any form of harm to to solve problems he uses his brain and he uses his words do you know what I mean mm. so it's, I think that that's what I loved about Doctor Who is that you've got a hero, someone who is, you know, completely fighting on the side of right the whole time, but also just a really good, strong role model for, for young people. And growing up, I just felt like that. I just loved. I would have much rather sat and watched Doctor Who and watched The Doctor than spend time with any any <laughs> grown up uh, males in my life. A hundred percent. Yeah. But um, that's why I love it so much. It's massively special to me. A lot of people are like, oh, but it's just cheap science fiction shit program. Yeah, but you have to remember that uh, when you grow up, things are ingrained in you. Like when you watch things, they're yeah. almost in your DNA. Do you know what I mean? Doctor Who is very much deep down in my DNA. As you can probably tell for the fact that I'm telling you the whole story and I haven't got a single note in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like the Doctor for me, um, it, it, it didn't have as... as impactful um as yourself but the, the instant um attraction to doctor who for me was um that he was a courageous courageous person helping anyone that needed help but also he inspired ev everyone that he met to, to to be that way too if that makes sense so all the assistants yeah, and all you know, how many assistants have like died because they've put their life on the line either for the doctor or for someone else? But also mm -hmm. anyone that he meets, even the people that he's trying to help, he inspires courage within them. Um, and I think that's really cool. I really like that aspect of it. I love that too. Um, as bats, if you're around, can you please stick around in this chat if you can, mate? Because there's loads of things that I'd like to discuss with you as we get closer to a new series. So if you're still here, give us a little clap. And uh, I'd love you to hang around and have this conversation with us. Uh, oh, we've got another bubble already. Let's have a look. I think it's really interesting. And I love the fact that you've mentioned that um, one of the things that you'd love about him, which I think is what a lot of people who love Doctor Who love about him, is that he, he uses non-violent forms of conflict resolution. Yeah. And it's so great to see different imaginative ways in which the story continues to do that. But I find it's really crazy... Um, like as a as like as a rule that's what he does and yet his entire story is based like on one call to action where he destroyed an entire planet his own planet his own home yeah like one extraordinary act of violence caused uh, him to then refuse to ever use violence again and it's sort of like it feels almost like after post world war 
uh, you know, we all decided, everyone decided no more violence. We had, we created the EU to be like, we need to learn to get on together. And it makes me think of that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a really good analogy, actually. Yeah. And also, the, in the very first episode of Doctor Who, the very first story, there's a there's a sequence where the Doctor is um, trying to escape from this uh, tribe of cavemen. Uh, but him and his companion at the time, Ian Chesterton, have found an injured caveman and they're helping him escape also. There's a moment in it where the doctor says that the injured man is slowing them down. And there's a moment when William Hartnell goes and picks up a rock and contemplates smashing the guy's brains in so that uh, they don't have to carry him anymore and they can make their escape. Mm -hmm. That's a dark moment. Yeah. In a character that ultimately becomes a hero. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So from the very, very, from the word go, they were seeing like the evolution of the character, you know, seeing how he sort of um, is pitted up against nothing but violence. I mean, Cybermen, Daleks, Sontarans, they are nothing but violent like races. And he has to find ways of defeating those those you know, evils in a way where, that he can look in the mirror at, at the end of the day, which I just think is um, so, that's why there's so much storytelling with Doctor Who, because, you know, like our lovely uh, caller said, you know, it's finding those different ways of doing that each time is is a fascinating look at the character in general. So I completely yeah. agree with that. I love that analogy. Violence Definitely. is usually sp probably the, the, the easiest answer in a way. And the doctor tries to find a way around that at every point. Yeah. Lovely. Let's awesome. hit this last ditty and then, and then we're going to move on to the John Pertwee era, which is in the 1970s. Yeah, because once you start going, Keith, this is your favourite one. You're not going to exactly. start. Exactly. I'm so, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't answer your comments after this point, you'll know why. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah, I also like the way that... Uh... Uh, the, the Doctor and his uh, companions keep making each other uh, better uh, uh, better people or, or as the Doctor you know, looking at uh, the whole universe in a, in a more compassionate way than the way he was I guess brought up with the Time Lords Yeah exactly and uh, there's no character that I think epitomises that more than Captain Jack you know when we first met Captain Jack he was a scoundrel, do you know what I mean? He was a yeah. a time uh, agent he was like scamming people and just being a bit of a dick and then obviously <laughs> his time spent with the doctor taught him that that wasn't uh the way to go and he became a better person for that and therefore you know built a whole organized well built an arm of the whole organization in cardiff called torchwood which yes. was then you know used to to combat alien evils and things on earth so yeah i completely and utterly agree that the doctor um definitely betters the companions but also the companions equally change the doctor uh, to become a better person also definitely um, yeah we've hit the 70s the 1970s the <laughs> flares of the thing platform shoes and john pertwee tumbles out of the tardis having just regenerated uh, from patrick Troughton. And he's taken to hospital where he meets a very important character for the first, well, actually the sec the third time he meets this character, but obviously the character doesn't know who he is. So he meets Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, who will become a main staple in the Doctor Who universe because he, le he leads a 
uh, group called UNIT, which stands for the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, in which the doctor in his third incarnation will be employed by. So the doctor exiled to Earth now will be working for UNIT, who is tasked in fighting like alien evils. Uh, and invasions of Earth. So the very first episode of John Pertwee's um, era features the Autons, which are the plastic dummies. You know, the mannequins from the very first episode with Christopher Eccleston? Yes. Yeah, so yes, the, I remember. In, the very, in the very first John Pertwee story, that is the story that those those aliens first feature. And oh, I didn't know they'd, they'd made a comeback. Yeah, there was a chilling scene in um, in that story. It's called Spearhead from Space, the very first John Pertwee story. A chilling scene where the mannequins smash out of the shop windows and start killing people. And if you watch that scene now, it is far superior to what they did in the new series on that very first episode because it's so scary. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. These things are completely still. They suddenly come alive. They smash through the windows and start shooting policemen and and it's it's horrific it's scary and that sets the uh the tone for the pertwee era do you know what i mean it's more hard hitting yeah. the doctor is more of an action hero he's a bit of a james bond uh st- like style uh doctor because john pertwee used to love you know driving fast cars and speed boats and helicopters so he was very well versed in driving all these you know you know, all these vehicles and stuff. So he really brought that into his uh, character of the Doctor. Uh, in the very second, in the second episode of his um, of his Doctor's era, they brought in the Silurians, which have become a mainstay in classic, in, um, sorry, new Doctor Who. You know, Madame, ba- Madame Bastra? Is that the know, lady the, with the skin? Yeah, the green woman. Yeah, the green. Yes. Yeah, she's a Silurian. So they were introduced in John Pertwee's era in the 1970s. Ah, interesting. Yeah. See all these little like for, nods and grabs. Yeah. So for any, I'm sure there's someone, well, maybe there is someone listening there that hasn't watched any of the classic series at all. And it is interesting how yes. it all links back. And you, you think when you're watching the, the new series that it's all brand new monsters and all sorts and brand new storylines but it's not it takes it and it's really impressive that it takes it from like it's got so much history you know absolutely that's what i love about doctor who as well yeah mythology behind it i mean there is so much history to draw from and the and the pertwee era just like the patrick troughton era really like had so much um like grit and so much um, so many amazing creations that a lot of of new who have taken from this particular era Mm. So um, John, um, John Pertwee's companion in his first season, Liz Shaw, she was brought in as a scientist, but they decided to get rid of her because she was too intelligent. That was the oh. reasoning why they decided to write that character out. Can you imagine them doing that now? Oh, <laughs> he, uh, horrendous. Yeah. So they no. wrote her out and they brought yeah. in Joe Grant um, as the Doctor's companion. Joe Grant, played by Katie Manning, who made an appearance actually in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Ah, okay. Um, she came back. So Joe Grant's very first episode featured the return of the Autons, the plastic uh, dummy things from mm-hmm. from the, from Poe's first story, but also featured the very first appearance of the Master. Ah, yes. This is what I was waiting for because I've literally yeah, so just 19... watched the newer episode with the newer Master in. 
Yep. So nineteen seventy one, I believe. 19, uh, oh no, hang on. No, no, nineteen seventy because the master will be fifty. Fifty. No, no, nineteen seventy one because the master will be fifty years old next year. Right. Right. The first appearance of the master. It's his fiftieth yeah. anniversary next year. So, Am I right yeah. in thinking that the master played with um, the doctor when they were kids? So um, there was. We never really know the true relationship between the Doctor and the Master. There is a lot said that they were childhood friends. They went to school mm. together, um, you know, and a lot of things happened to send them on to different paths. Again, like I said, expanded universe. This is what happens. You know, when... when um, well, oh, we'll get to the expanded universe later, but with the expanded universe, there's lots of different... Uh, pathways that the, the relationship with the doctor and the master go so uh, to find a definite you know definitive answer is quite difficult but what i will say is and this is the one thing i don't i don't like about that era is that from that moment of the master's introduction he's pretty much in every single story in that season and in a hell of a lot of stories after as well so um they really really milked using the master in the 70s i mean it was in in my opinion it was too much because you know there would be a scene where you know they would reveal who the big bad was and you're like oh it's the master again but he was in the last story so it's not really that surprising yeah so yeah anyway in john pertwee's era they brought back the daleks they um they introduced some of the most iconic monsters. There's a, a story called The Demons, which I still think is probably up there with the, one of the best Doctor Who stories ever made, which is all set in a small English village where um, they they pretty much fight the devil. So, yeah, wow. it's a really great story. Um, Katie Manning decided to leave, so they wrote her out. And in the following story, which was... Um, the story in which they introduced the Sontarans for the first time, which is a monster that's been brought back in the new series. Oh, yes. Uh, with, like, backs, you know, like the ones that look like a potato. Yes, yes. Yep, so they, they, they were brought, they were originally in the, the, the Time Warrior with um, John Pertwee. But also introduced in that story was the amazing Elizabeth Sladen as, Sher- as Sarah Jane Smith. Yes. Who became like an icon in the world of Doctor Who because she she's constantly topped the best companion lists uh, like ever since she first appeared. And she wow. is the quintessential British, you know, Doctor Who girl. Do you know what I mean? She's, yes. she's spicy, she's intelligent, she's inquisitive. She has no qualms of saying, shut up, Doctor, you know, like, don't tell me what to do. Do you know what yeah. I mean? She has this, and she's a journalist when she first appears in the series. So um, she's a she's feisty she's great and it's so fresh from joe grant who was very like doctor but why doctor why are they doing that what's that right, doctor? yeah Do you know what I mean? yeah so a very fresh take on the companion which is why she became so so popular and um, i think they've tried to reflect that in the newer series because rose tyler was like that yeah definitely well they brought sarah jane uh, yeah they did back, obviously in the in the they new did, series yeah. so I love that story where was, she's reintroduced. Yeah, so was K9 with Sarah Jane at that, that point or did K9 come a bit later? K9 is an oddity. It comes he, he was in it later. It's a bit of an oddity with that, but I'll I'll get to that in a little while. Remind me. Just just say the word K9 and I'll be like, "Ah, okay." Yeah. Yeah. So um so yeah, John Pertwee decided to leave and there was a story called uh, Planet of the Spiders, the Doctor 
gets radiation poisoning, uh, saving a whole planet, and then yeah. regenerates into probably the most iconic Doctor Who from the classic series, Tom Baker. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, yes. I've, I've heard a lot about Tom Baker. Obviously, haven't watched any of the classics, but like they talk about, he's talked about a lot. Um, and did they bring him back in the newer series? Oh, we'll go, we'll get there because that's okay. that's a, a very mute point. We don't know, we don't ah, know. Okay. That's the thing. Okay. Um, we've yeah. got some uh ditties, so before we move on to Tom okay, Baker, so let's go through these. We're good, we've done a whole doctor since the last ditties, so we're doing yeah. well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Liz Shaw was brilliant, they should have, should have kept her. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, um, Liz Shaw. Liz, oh, Liz Shaw. Yeah, of course not. Elizabeth Lane. Liz Shaw. Yeah, they totally should have kept Liz Shaw. She was a great companion. She's done. This is the companion that um, was axed because she was too intelligent. Mm. Liz Shaw. They, she was a great, 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 great companion. She's done really well in other mediums of Doctor Who, like the novels and the audio dramas. She's done. She did really well in those mediums. But unfortunately, at the time, they didn't really uh get to grips with the character even though i think that she was fantastic personally in in so when you say she was too intelligent so her as a person as the actress she was too intelligent so in that time of, of doctor who the companion or the assistant role was basically there to say why why is that happening doctor who's that doctor why what's going on because they were the eyes of the audience yes you know what i mean but yeah the problem with 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 uh liz shaw's character was that the doctor would say something to her which was quite I don't know, scientific and she would just go yes doctor i completely understand and then the audience are left going but we don't but <laughs> surely I mean? that's so... down to the writers not down to her yeah, uh, yeah. okay weird okay yeah absolutely they tried to push it in a direction that was really interesting. It was very much like uh, the Quater Mass serials that were on at the time where they were quite scientific and everyone seemed to go on and that added to the drama. But um, unfortunately, the the uh, producers at the time just didn't think that that was the direction that they wanted Doctor Who to go in. So that is why they decided to go for Joe Grant, who was a little bit more, you know, assistant-y in the fact that she would like strain her ankle and go, Doctor, you know, that sort of yes. companion. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um Yes, so that's why. But I do agree with you. Liz Shaw was fantastic. There's there's a book called Scales of Injustice, uh, Doctor Who Scales of Injustice, which is a a feature length novel with uh, Liz Shaw, and it's um it gives her a proper send off because they didn't give her a proper send off in the TV series, but that book gives her a really good send off. So if you're interested in a bit of Shaw action, uh, Scales of Injustice is great. Awesome. Right, let's listen to this ditty, and then we'll go into Tom Baker. Two Brits talking about Doctor Who, talking about diving headlong into a stereotype. You know, I'm going to start a show about Puerto Ricans and the best ways to steal car radios and grow rat tails. All I heard there was, I'm really jealous that my country didn't invent Doctor Who and that it doesn't belong to us. <laughs> that's all I heard there. That's, that's literally all I heard. Are you? Did you hear that too? I think I did, that's yeah. It? Yeah, <laughs> I think it was maybe the accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, we're going to delve straight into Tom Baker then. So Tom Baker's first season uh, as the Doctor, I think, was is probably one of the best the the series has ever produced. 
Um, it brought back the Sontarans. It brought in the Wirren, which were like um, like bugs in space in a sort of alien-esque style um, story where they like, basically like take take you over from the inside, which was quite nasty. Um, and then we hit the fourth story in the season, and it's called Genesis of the Daleks. Oh. So this is the first appearance of that guy that you've got a proper hard on for, Davros. Oh, okay, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, if you're still listening, guys, Ava's got a bit of a thing for Davros. She likes a guy with, <laughs> um, with, with bumps. No, no. I only asked about it. I only asked about it because <laughs> it was mentioned in this history thing that I um I looked at, and and he looks exactly the same. So in the newer episodes, yeah. they've done his makeup and stuff like pretty much spot on to the the older series, I believe. Um, and I That's thought it. that they introduced the Daleks with Davros, but obviously you've corrected no. me. So yes, um, no, I'm no, interested no. to to hear about him. Okay, so Davros is um, a Khalid scientist who um, was injured in an explosion. We only know that because there was an audio series called I, Davros, which was a play on I, Claudius, uh, where it actually did like the, a prequel series, um, watching Davros grow up. And, and mm-hmm. we actually hear um, how he became so disfigured. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so the Doctor is tasked by the Time Lords to um, alter or change the the direction or, or creation of the Daleks. The Time Lords say to the Doctor, you know, we want you to do this. We, you know, we allow your continued existence, you know, and don't bother you anymore after that trial that went on in Patrick Troughton's era. We don't mm-hmm. bother you anymore, but we, but we want you to do this. We want you to uh, to change the direction of the Daleks, make them less aggressive, make them less warlike uh, creatures in, for the future. Mm-hmm. So the Doctor reluctantly agrees. And him, Sarah Jane and Harry Sullivan, who is his third companion, uh, go off to try and do that, where they meet Davros for the first time. So this is like right at the beginning, literally the birth of the Daleks. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the Doctor does get a chance to actually completely destroy all of the Dalek embryos which have been created already, like the mm-hmm. creatures that will be put inside the travel machines. Mm-hmm. But he gives this amazing speech, basically saying, do I have the right? You know, do I have the right to end the creation of these creatures? Mm. Like, like what, what right of it of mine do I have to commit genocide? Do you know what yes. he says? If you... He gives this amazing speech to Sarah Jane, like, and says, like, if I was to point out a child to you in a playground and said that that child would grow up to be a mad dictator um, and would kill millions of people, would could you then kill that child? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because uh, auto- I just say that all of this is playing. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I, I was just going to say that automatically just made me think of Hitler. So. Yes. I, do they think? Did they base sort of the Daleks uh, off the Nazis? Do you think maybe? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because if you watch, if you watch Genesis of the Daleks, there's a sequence where when the um, when the Khalid soldiers say goodbye, the Khalids are the race that the Daleks will eventually like become. They mm. uh, they click their heels. They do like a Nazi salute, like the Nazis. So one hundred percent, the Daleks are based on 
on the Nazis. There's there's no denying that. Do you know what I mean? It's all there yeah. in the palaphernalia and the um, you know, the way that they greet and and each like their officers and things like that. It's all there. It's all yeah. there's no doubt that the Daleks are Nazis. But then um, you know, the doctor gives this speech and you, and I, I just wanted to say, like a speech like that. This is all happening in a TV show which is supposed to be aimed at kids at like six o'clock in the evening on a Saturday night. Do you mean yeah. it's opening up these massive ideas of, you know, like do you have the right to end a race even though they're going to go on to be bad? The doctor says, you know, like many planets will become uh, allies because of their fear of the Daleks. Yes. So does he have the right to do that? So yeah. in the end, the doctor does not does not do that and davros um in that in that story ends up actually getting exterminated by his own creations that turn on him but obviously we know that he doesn't die it, yes it was it like there was it was changed but um a lot of people think that the action of the time lords to to send the doctor back to try and um divert their creation or make them less aggressive was the first shot fired in the time war Ah, uh, yes. I was going to say that. I was like, oh, is this stemming to the time war? Because that's yeah. uh, that's pretty extraordinary measures to take. But, like, it's sure. it's such, like, a deep, deep thing. Like, it's easy to just say, oh, yeah, go kill the person that, like, leads uh, a terrible war in the future and kills millions of people. But what are the consequences of that? As you said, it made, made other planets become allies. It could have just... If it wasn't that person, it might have been just the the person down the road, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you've got this done. And just just like, I I find that amazing to let that sink in, that the whole thing about the time war in the new series, the very first shot that was fired was in 1974. Wow. Yeah, really interesting. Doctor Who's been playing the long game. And you wouldn't have thought it'd come from the Time Lords either. No, you'd think that the Daleks would probably make the first move, but the Time mm-hmm. Lords, the Time Lords are, are, are dodgy as fuck. They really are. They are. They are corrupt. They are. Pretty, yes. They're pretty much like the United States, really. <laughs> the Time Lords. <laughs> they are the. Well, the, got... the, the, the American government are the, definitely yeah. the Time Lords. You know, like the, saying that they're doing what's best for for everyone, but really they're just doing what's best for them and big. You know, yeah. and uh, power. And corruption. I think plays. my assumption. Um, yeah. So I think my assumption of the Time Lords was that, was that they were all like the Doctor. Um, so learning Ooh, from the newer hell series, no. I think uh, Peter Capa- Peter Capaldi's series. There's something about he, he goes and meets the Time Lords or something like that. And I'd be interested to know more about them. And and sure. I think I know a little bit more about their origin, like the founding, like. They weren't all born like that. They were sort of created or that the, there's a founding. They were founding. born from looms. Yeah. So, again, it depends on what um, expanded universe line that you take. Because mm. uh, like, uh, there's, a, there's a novel called Lungborough and it's, it's notorious with Doctor Who fans because it pretty much answers who the Doctor is mm. in that book. I'm not going to go into it because it's so freaking complicated. But yeah. basically... Time Lords are born from looms and they're born, they're, they're in families and it's a very like territorial um, existence on Gallifrey. It's all very complicated, but you mm. are correct. You know, they're, they are sort of born in from other means, not just like the way that we do it. But um, 
Yeah, but Tom Baker's like the first era is amazing because the era ends on. So you have Genesis of the Daleks, which is um, arguably um, voted nine times out of ten to be the best classic Doctor Who story of all time. Ah, okay. Yeah, that and the Caves of Androzani what we'll, that we'll get to in a moment. But um, yeah. yeah, Genesis of the Daleks is definitely up there with the, one of the best Doctor Who stories of all time, which I think is amazing. And then it's followed by a story which is not as good, but just shows you where, what direction they're going in. Uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. Ah, okay, yeah. So we have a, a little bit of a limp like return i'm not gonna lie to you i remember watching revenge of the cybermen when i was a kid and frigging loving it because the cybermen just look so great in it um but then they open their mouths and they talk and they obviously hired a brummy to be the cyber leader <laughs> and, it, and the accent is very prevalent <laughs> <laughs> don't insult brummies because you're talking to one i know but you know, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna kill you doctor <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it is horrendous, um, but, isn't it? A really, really good story. <laughs> a really good story. And then the following season is a really strong season as well because the Doctor um, leaves Harry Sullivan behind and then just purely travels with Sarah Jane Smith. And it's a yeah. frigging glorious season. You've got stories like Pyramids of Mars, which is, um, you know, in, um, set in the 1930s. You know, like an Egyptian story set in the 1930s yeah. in, in a country house in England. Proper gothic horror. This is the era when Doctor Who decides to steal from every single gothic novel. You know, you've got Pyramids of Mars, <laughs> you've got mummies in there, you've got um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde with Planet yes. of Evil. You've got you've got um, like a body body shock horror story with the Seeds of Doom, where they find a, a seed pod in the Antarctic and they bring it back, and it hatches and touches someone and turns them into like the most grotesque like the thing like creature that then goes around and you know is going to spawn and destroy the destroy the earth so amazing stories you know really um really delving in deep into like the gothic literature to create yeah. a doctor Who story uh, yeah. another one i just want to give or mention to is the brain of morbius morbius was a time lord but a bad one like the master oh, um, who okay. was thought to have been um destroyed but his brain survived and that story is very much about Frankenstein. You know, his body, his brain mm -hmm. is put into a constructed body that looks very much, very Frankenstein-esque. Do you know what I mean? And the Doctor then has mm -hmm. to um, has to destroy him. But um, just for you complete and utter geeks out there, I'm just going to quickly mention that Brain of Morbius is set on a planet called Khan. And if any of you saw the Eighth Doctor short um for the 50th anniversary in which uh, Paul McGann's Doctor regenerated, the, uh, that all, was all set on Khan also. So there's Ooh. a little link between the uh, the planets. And if you watch those two stories, you'll see why it's really important that that happened. So again, that's um, like the, the fate of the, eighth doctor, of the Eighth Doctor was in the hands of the Fourth Doctor back in 1974, you know, or 76. Oh, so, wow. I, I love that. Yep. So Sarah Jane decides to say farewell. Mm -hmm. And we're introduced to Leela, who is a bit of a savage character. She was brought in to be a little bit like a Pygmalion character, you know, uh, My Fair Lady, where the Doctor then sort of had to teach her how to be like a lady. Do you know what I mean? She was a savage. Okay. She was like, she wore um, like leathers and 
you know, a bit of a, you know, she was from a different planet, but she would just like stab people. She had a knife and she'd just like throw her knife at people. And the doctor would like, would you just put that knife down, please? That's not how I roll. <laughs> so was this so, the first uh, companion that wasn't like human or? Yeah. Um, blah, blah, blah. Well, Susan, the doctor's granddaughter, wasn't a human. And there was of others yes. from like different times and space. But this was one that was more of a, you know, less traditional companion. They're more of a savage Okay. Um, and therefore the doctor had to sort of teach them there's a great story in her se- in her era called um uh the talons of wing chiang where they go back to victorian london um and they go they dress up in the theater and the doctor dresses leela in this very victorian outfit and she just feels very uncomfortable and you know it's it's a proper like my fair lady story i love it where she's like drinking like soup from the bowl with her hands and the all the Victorian <laughs> gentlemen are like, what the hell is she doing? How dare she? <laughs> um, but Love yeah, it. really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, where are we up to? We're up to Leela. That's great. Should we answer some messages while we're Yes, at we've got five. Yes, let's go. So I go way back to the, I think William Davidson is the one that had the, the vegetables in his lapel. <laughs> And, of course, uh, Tom Baker. That's when I started watching with my dad. But even though I love all the classic stuff, David Tennant is my man. I think he he's the reason why we even have Doctor Who now is because he made a, that part so damn electric. And Chris Eccleston did a great job, too. But he just has a very, he had a very short, short time. Um, I have not seen the last two seasons, even though I love uh, Peter Capaldi. And he's really good in the new David Copperfield as well. But um, I still have not seen him. Yeah, great. Just a few things there. I know I fact check, but I just do it for myself and because I don't want to do you guys a disservice. Uh, Peter Davison is the next doctor we're going to talk about. He's the doctor with the uh, the celery as the lapel. And <laughs> uh, yeah, you're you're missing out on a lot of seasons, my friend. We're coming up to season 13 with Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker's already had two seasons already. So mm-hmm. you're well behind. You're like four years behind, my friend. Come on, come on. <laughs> Like, I yeah, think there's less there's less episodes per season nowadays, isn't there? Oh, definitely, and I think that is yeah. because. Um, well, no, I think in the last season there were ten episodes. I think ten episodes is enough. Yeah. I think you can, you know, because sometimes they'll they'll um, spread themselves too thin. I think, and therefore mm-hmm. there'll be more some dud episodes. So I would rather them. I'd rather there be a shorter season with really good quality episodes than a longer season with some duds in there, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think for, for me, I, I like, um, especially in the David Tennant era, there was a lot of just like filler episodes, which were like just interesting, funny stories yeah. Um, yeah. and adventures. And then towards the end of the season and the beginning of the season, there was the more like, or here's the master, they've got loads of history, or here's this, and it's really big, and the doctor could die, or, you know, whatever, yeah. and, and bigger stories. Um, and I liked that. I feel like in the newer seasons, there's too much of the bigger stories and not enough of the little ones that you can get, like, your head round knowing this new doctor and knowing this new companion, and less sort of filler episodes. Personally, I prefer a few more fillers than the big stuff. That See, that's sense. funny because I'm completely the opposite. I love long story arcs. I like story mm. arcs that stretch the whole season. Um, 
but I do I do I completely take your point those short like stories are really good as well do you know what I mean the uh the filler episodes as you call them they're really good if you want to take a breather from the big storylines but yeah I love I love a season finale me <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm here for it I'm queer for it bring on the season finale that's what I said <laughs> alright let's move on to uh, the next comment can I air a little grievance with you um I love Stephen Moffat and I love that he tuned both Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Who for a new generation however I think that he kind of Doctor Whoified um Sherlock from season three on to a point where it just didn't seem like a detective show that had anything to risk. Like they just made too many leaps and things were way too convenient and everything was well thought out. And somebody had some master plan that they hatched from the beginning at the end. Like it just got way too convenient and fantastical really. Um, How do you feel about that? Hopefully the same way, because if you feel any other way, you're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> wow coming in here talking about Sherlock did you read the title <laughs> um, all, I'm go- all I'm gonna say is uh, for me um, season one or two of Sherlock are amazing three is bearable four doesn't exist that's all I'm gonna say mm. I think it was the same sort of aspect of it like the first couple of seasons was like Getting used to Sherlock Holmes, how he works, getting to know Watson, blah, blah, blah. Getting to know Lestrand. And um, for me, again, not enough filler stuff. It was all about, um, oh, is this guy, is the baddie in that called the master as well? No, he's Moriarty. Moriarty, I knew it began with an M. Yeah, Um, yeah, Moriarty. Moriarty is just too prevalent. I think now it just needs more. I it needs more filler to like get me comfortable with the characters. Are you saying that you want less Andrew Scott on TV? Because I tell you mm. what, I want more of him. I freaking <laughs> love him. I think he's gorgeous. I'd marry him in a heartbeat. Same amount. I would of same amount, but just more filler episodes in between. That's what I would say. That's fair. That's fair. I'm there for that. I'm definitely there for that. Uh, again, we are. Are you guys familiar with Douglas Adams' uh, work that he did with uh, on Doctor Who? You can buy. I think they either turn they publish the scripts in book form, and I think they may have even taken the scripts and you know uh, fictionalized them, like turn it into prose. But you can get it at like Barnes and Noble on the cheap. But um, that was some of his first work. Uh, was work writing for Doctor Who on the radio, and it's very fitting. But I think some of his scripts were even too far out um, for standard Doctor Who stuff. He's deliberately trying to get ahead because that is literally the next thing we're going to talk about. (laughs) But I love the fact fact that you're in tune. Yes, of course, Douglas Adams. uh, We'll come to Douglas Adams very, very shortly. Cool. Keith, a little bit of Doctor Who trivia. Do you remember when, I think it it was one of the um, companions... And Canine had their own show. Yes. Do you remember those? Yes. Uh, uh, do you know what? I'll do this now very, very quickly so we don't have to do it later. Basically, in the 80s, they decided to try and do a spin-off of Doctor Who by bringing mm-hmm. Elizabeth Sladen back as Sarah Jane Smith and pairing her with Canine. Ah, okay. The Doctor sent Canine to Sarah Jane to look after while he was off doing something else. God knows what. Probably on holiday. And um, 
Yeah, so it was called Canine and Company. It is. Um, it happened. Not many Doctor Who fans like to admit that it happened because it's not great. Right. But it's a bit of a witch like black magic story in an English village, and canines there, and you're like, what the fuck is this? Um, anyway, <laughs> it never got it never got commissioned as a full series. So, and I'm right. pretty glad about that. <laughs> right, which is why to... canine. Which is why Canine is with Sarah Jane in the new series. Ah, okay. Right. So, yeah, I get you now. It it, it felt to me in the newer series, and I know that Sarah Jane had some adventures as well, um, uh, that Canine and Sarah Jane were together. Like, it felt like she'd, like, either made him or was there, like, when she met him and, you know, had this, like, big bond. But it's interesting to know that, like, the Doctor sent them away together to... That was all... That all okay. happened in a spin. So Sarah Jane, she, I mean, Elizabeth Sladen hadn't been in the series for like five or six years up to the point when uh, Canine and Company came around. So, mm. you know, she was, she was well out of the TARDIS, well out of the Doctor Who loop at that point. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, a little oddity there. It was a, it was a bit of a sh- pile of shit, but it also <laughs> allowed Canine to come back in the new series with Sarah Jane. So I think, you know, we took that, um, but we got something really good out of it. So that's great. Awesome. Right, let's listen to this last comment and then we can move on to the next series. We can. Yeah, something I, I just got reminded about recently is that the time agents that Jack's a part of is first mentioned in the Talons of Wang Chiang. Yes! Do you know the Talons of Wang Chiang, the story that I mentioned with, where yeah. Leela had to wear a Victorian outfit? That is true. Yeah. Time agents were first mentioned in that story because Magnus Greel, who is the big bad in it, is being hunted by the time agents. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're correct. Oh, goodness me. Have my baby, sir. Have my baby. <laughs> and was, was Captain Jack not... Is Captain Jack in the in the newer series only, or was he... Yes. Okay, so he cool. was in, Yeah, he appeared in Christopher Eccleston's uh, season. He was. He's not been previously... Uh, mentioned but uh, so we're at Leela so Leela had some great adventures with the Doctor and then she left in the Invasion of Time which is a story about Sontarans invading Gallifrey Um, great great first four episodes the final two episodes really suffered because um, they couldn't afford to build the TARDIS sets because the whole last two episodes take place completely inside the TARDIS they couldn't afford the set, so they decided to film inside an old abandoned hospital, and it just looks garish. Oh, so, uh, no. It's terrible. So then we move on to um, the next season, which is, uh, the, they call the key, uh, the key to Time season. It's a season of six do- uh, stories like a, that made up a whole, like, one season. Yeah. And each, uh, the whole season has a theme of the key to Time. So the Doctor is tasked by the White Guardian to go, um, and travel across the universe to find segments to the key to time and bring them together to bring balance to the universe because apparently the balance of the universe is off and chaos is about to break out. So the Doctor mm-hmm. has to find all six segments and bring them together. And then he's given a companion to do this task with and the companion is called Romana and she's a time lady. Oh. So this is the first time that the Doctor, apart from Susan, of course, but this is the first time the Doctor travels, you know, with one of his own race that we know is one of his own race, you know, is a time lady. Interesting. So, so what's what's the difference? So um, does everyone have a sonic screwdriver? 
you know. No, what... <laughs> that's that's purely that's purely the Doctor's invention. Uh, if you had was, to describe that... Time Lords and Time Ladies, I yeah, I would assume they were very similar to the Doctor. But like, what do you think is the the main differences in, well, in that I think race? It's to do with regeneration cycles. So I think the Doctor is obviously the majority been a male because you know, the first 12 regenerations of his were male, although we, d- we don't, we know that that's not the case now, but we'll get mm-hmm. to that in a moment. Um, the um, time ladies, I think, are time lords that have just been primarily ladies. That's how I mm-hmm. see it anyway. But uh, Romana is a great companion and she actually, the first key to time season is okay. There's some great stories in it. The pirate planet is probably my favourite, which was uh, like our um, guy who commented in earlier was written by Douglas Adams, who went on then to write Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to great success. Oh. So, uh, yeah, he was really heavily involved in that season of Doctor Who. In fact, I think he was a script editor. So he was in charge of a lot of the scripts. So the key to time ended. Um, they got all the segments together. Balance was restored. And um, in the following story, the actress who played Romana wanted to leave. So they said, yeah, that's fine. But we, we really like the character. So what we'll do is we'll regenerate Romana. Right. So Romana then regenerates into Lala Ward, who is um, up there, definitely in my top five companions. I think she's amazing. Great actress. Here's a little bit of trivia for you. Tom Baker married her in real life. Oh, really? And they, is that how they met them? 18 18- it lasted about 18 months. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind one. Because um, during her era, it was the first time that Doctor Who went and filmed abroad. So there's um, a story which was written by uh, Douglas Adams called uh, City of Death, which I think is one of the best Doctor Who stories ever written. And it takes com- place completely in Paris. Yeah. It's an excellent story of uh, an alien that is trying to... Uh, raise money to build uh, time technology and therefore is fractured throughout lots of different time eras, gets Leonardo da Vinci to paint six Mona Lisas, (laughs) walls them up so that in modern day uh, times he can sell, he can steal the real Mona Lisa and sell it to seven buyers and raise lots of money. Wow. It's a brilliant story. It really is an absolute classic. There's a lot more to it than what I've just explained, but that's like one of the basic plot lines. But brilliant, interesting brilliant story. to Amazing. if you could, if you could do that or like could yeah. influence your future. Is that what you would really do? I mean, he needed the money to build the time technology to get like get back to his. Uh, to, to, it's such but couldn't a couldn't story, he have just made an investment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what, what better investment than art? Oh, uh, true, and the Mona true. Lisa, steal the Mona Lisa from the Louvre and then sell it to seven people thinking they're all buying the original when actually, lit, well, technically they are the original because the guy got Leonardo, Di- uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo Da Vinci to, uh, <laughs> to make them all. But do you oh. know how the doctor did it? The what? doctor went back to Leonardo Da Vinci's time and wrote on the um, the boards in which uh, you know, like the what do they call it, the canvas in which yes. um, which he uh, Da Vinci was going to paint the Mona Lisa. Wrote on all the canvases, "This is a fake." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of, that was one of the conclusions anyway to, to the problem. But it's it's a great story, and it it, it whips along, and 
there's scenes with the Doctor and Romana holding hands, running through Paris, and it's just beautiful. And you can tell that that's the moment that Tom Baker like fell in love with Lala Ward, and that's why they got married. Hundred percent. Um, yes. So, bah, 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 bah. obviously, Canine has has been introduced by this point quite 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 early on. Actually, he was introduced during the Leela story, um, like time. So, Canine is a main staple in Doctor Who at this point. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. Canine. Anyway, um, the Doctor then decided. Well, Tom Baker then decided to leave. Uh, Lala Lala Ward left. So we yeah. had some other companions with him at the time. He decided to leave after seven years he played the Doctor for. Wow. Seven. He's the longest running uh, actor to play the Doctor. Yeah. So, yeah, amazing, amazing. And he died in a very hero- heroic way and, um, and fell to his death. That's how Tom Baker oh. died. So, absolutely. And then he regenerated into Peter Davison, who has the stick of celery. Right, we're on the fifth Doctor. We need to speed it up a little bit, I think. But I think we, we might need to organise another chat because I know you've got another one at eight o'clock, haven't you? Yeah, that's fine. We can get through this. We can do this. We can do this. Cool. We can do this. Right. We've got some ditties. We'll listen to these really quickly. <laughs> can I just say, I need to see Rassilon more. I don't think he's been on there since like mid-2000s or something like that. But I love how deliciously like Timothy Dalton played him. He was such a ham of a bad guy. And I think he matched the hamminess of Doctor Who himself. But I would love to see more of him. Before the old man dies, the guy's almost on his way out. Anything yeah, to say on that? I mean, <laughs> uh, Rassilon is um, the guy that was basically there at the very beginning of the creation of um, the Time Lords, i.e. He, he was one of the people that, um, that created the black hole, which... Um, enabled the time lords to time travel him omega and the other we never really we've never really found out who the other is Mm. still to this day but it's possible that the other could be the doctor we just we don't know um so yeah russell all i'm gonna say to you is i have heard hundreds of stories of rassilon but they've taken that story onto the audio drama um medium now so there's a company, I'll drop this in now. There's a company called Big Finish Productions. They make full-length, full-cast audio dramas of Doctor Who using previous Doctors. So Tom Baker does them, uh, Peter Davidson, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, they all do them. Paul McGann does them. David Tennant does them. I've, I've listened to a story today from the uh, 10th Doctor and Riversong box set, which unites the 10th Doctor and Riversong again. So... Ooh. They're an amazing company. They do a lot. But um, Richard Armitage, who is a really famous actor, you might know him from like The Hobbit and Spooks and things like that. He mm-hmm. plays Rassilon in, in the audio dramas and um, part of the Time War box set. Um, and it, 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 it's fantastic. I mean, I know that where the story of Rassilon went and is going from those dramas. So if you do want to find out what's going on with Rassilon, head over to bigfinish.com. Hopefully, if I say it many more times on here, they'll friend me, send me free stuff. Bigfinish.com, <laughs> bigfinish.com, bigfinish.com. And you can, um, yes, yeah, search out and find out what's going on with previous doctors. Definitely. We've got some really exciting things coming out. And guess who's just signed up to be the doctor again with them? Uh, Peter Capaldi? No. Better. Christopher Eccleston. Oh, 
So Christopher awesome. Eccleston is coming back as the Doctor in full cast audio drama. So we're going to get another season from uh, from Christopher Eccleston, which I think would be amazing. And uh, Billy Piper's already done another season of audio dramas with David Tennant, which was like episodes that sort of fitted in between their TV stories. Oh, I've got to listen to those. Yeah. Check them out. Awesome. They are great. They are really good. Awesome. Um, so Peter Davison comes along. Peter Davison is a very, um, he's the young, at the time he was the youngest actor to play the Doctor. So he, um, he came How out with a very fresh face. God, he was 30. Okay. At the time he got the role of the Doctor. So yeah, I mean, um, the first season, amazing. There's loads of great stories in um, his first season, Kinder, Earthshock, which is famous for... Um, being completely and utterly blasé about what the story was. And at the end of the very first episode, boom, they bring back the Cybermen, which apparently knocked like the fans off their seats at the time of watching it because it wasn't even announced that the Cybermen were coming back. Um, oh. And then we get up to um, sort of mid, mid era of Peter Davison, the five doctors. So they've done something similar in for the 10th anniversary with John Pertwee, where they brought William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton back. So there's three doctors in that story. But in this story, they recast the first doctor because um, William Hartnell had died at this point. But mm-hmm. Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, um, Tom Baker didn't come back. He didn't want to do it. He felt like he had left the role um, only well, a, it needed year, to be. Like a, two, a year, two years before. So he didn't come back, but they used some... Um, Exist, existing footage from another story to, to, to tell his story mm-hmm. but uh, yeah the five doctors and then you've got Peter Davison who was the current doctor at the time and, the, and it was like a 90 minute special and it, it's great it's glorious having all those doctors together it's amazing it was the 20th anniversary special of Doctor Who that was so if you think we're about to come up to the 60th anniversary wow that's Madness. crazy yeah, yeah. So the Daleks come back, the Silurians come back, uh, the Master literally comes back every five minutes in that era because he's <laughs> recast by Anthony Amy after the original actor to play the Master, Roger Delgado, was killed in a car accident. So they had to, they brought back um, the Master with Anthony Amy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was popped up like, hello, I'm back. We're like, yeah, we saw you like well, two stories ago. Um, <laughs> Peter Davidson's final story, The Caves of Androzani. Um, is 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 also really up there with the best Doctor Who stories ever written. It's about it's basically a story about drug running, oh. set on an alien planet. The drug okay. in question is called Spectrox, and it prolongs people's lives, and people are uh, desperate for it, addicted to it. But there's a guy called Sharas Jack who is um, has taken like a lot of the Spectrox um, from like the the government and is. But basically ransoming it, like, and uh, the Doctor gets involved uh, in the very first opening moments of the story. The Doctor and Perry, his companion at the time, um, step into, like, a nest and they get a rash on their leg. And then they realise that it's a little bit um, more than just a rash. It's going to kill them both. Um, So the story is basically the Doctor trying to prevent Perry and himself getting caught up in this huge drug running story it's it's a brilliant it's gritty it's dark it's directed to within an inch of its life by graham harper it's just a fantastic piece of television it's you know it's really gritty drama and then um the doctor finds the antidote to the virus that him and perry are dying of but in the final moments he drops the vial and spills half of it so there's only enough for perry 
Ah, okay. And that's how Peter Davison meets his end. He dies from spe- from the disease saving Perry's life. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so we're, that was Peter Davison. We got through that very quickly. <laughs> Should we listen to these uh, comments quickly? Sure. Dreamcasting moment here. Matt Berry as the next Doctor Who. We need to get that petition going right now. Um, I I would I need to see him do draw more dramatic stuff before I can put my uh. Money Who did he say, Matt Matthew Berry? Matt Matt Berry. He's in um, oh, Matt Berry of London. Yeah, and um, what we do in the shadows. Oh, okay. Yes. So yes. I need I need to see him do more drama, like dramatic stuff, before I can get behind him as the Doctor. And plus, the next Doctor is going to be a woman anyway. Yes. Because like it has to be. I want it to be Anna Chandler. I think I know who it is, but um, I don't know. I don't know if that. I don't know if that was just someone's theory, but I think it was well, the lady it, that. It's definitely it's definitely a theory because I don't think Jodie Whittaker's given up the role anytime soon. Oh, She's, okay. She loves it. She's addicted to okay. it. Okay. So okay, I don't think cool. she'll be leaving anytime soon. But right, let's have a look. Nick's do You know when you hear that. <laughs> Douglas Adams, the guy who created a spaceship that ran on the power of people arguing over how to split a bill at dinner, you could totally understand how he would come up with some shit about guy making uh, selling Mona Lisas uh, to make money. Yeah, definitely. There's no mind like Douglas Adams. He's <laughs> an absolute genius at prose and like very, very witty. Very witty. <laughs> that sounds great, like. Great um... It would inspire like Monsters Inc. or something. It's a, it's quite a weird aspect of like yeah, emotions sure. powering thing. Definitely, I'd get anyone to go out and uh, read the Hitchhiker's Guide a trilogy in four parts. It's called, which I always thought was very funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely because it is a very very um, clever, witty, beautiful story, so elegantly told. Um, but yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide's amazing. Douglas Adams is great. His, there's a lot of um, influences from him, like scattered, you know, throughout um, sci-fi especially, but also comedy. Mm. You know what I mean? The absurd comedy that he wrote, you know, was just amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? You know, there's the people, a bunch of big a... Finnish stories on Spotify. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's that's Ava. You can listen to some of the big Finnish stories on Spotify. You know the company that make the Doctor Who audios. They've Amazing. So big maybe you can watch, listen Spotify. to a few of those on there. Yeah, yeah they're definitely. great. I, I hardly listen to music these days. I'm always like, if I'm at the gym and people are going, "Oh, what are you listening to?" I'm like, I'm either listening to Doctor Who or the Arches, one of those two. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't <laughs> the Arches. I didn't know. I, you made a comment yeah. to it earlier. Um, uh, on I think it was I'm on a probably, different chat. But, um, I'm probably people look at me and they go, "You are not. You don't listen to the Archers because you know I'm just this, you know, cheeky little chappy." And I'm like, "Yes, uh, I've listened to the Archers since I was eight years old. I friggin' love it. I, it's, it's my Sundays. You know, I come home from the gym and I listen to the Archers uh, on the bus on a Sunday. I, I love it. It's been part of my life for so long. It just reminds me of my mum and my grandma. So, oh, yeah, that's I, lovely. I know, those I know those characters inside out. Do you know what I mean?" Pip, one of the oh. characters from the Archers, uh, was born on the same day as me, so I've sort of grown up with her. So, oh, it's, it's that's really cool. Good. 
Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff, good stuff. Love the arches. Avo, what kind of person do you think I am that I would recommend even flippantly Matthew Perry for the character of Doctor Who? <laughs> you know, I thought we knew each other, but <sighs> I'm just going to go. Oh, I just want to so know sorry. what he's like as a dramatic actor. <laughs> I didn't hear properly. I thought you said Matt Perry, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> does he mean Matthew Perry? Um, so I, apologies imagine? for that. Please Chandler don't go. Please forgive me. We're friends again, surely, uh, hopefully. Chandler <laughs> playing the doctor. No way. I know. No that, way. That, not, it, not it's over sort my of... dead body. <laughs> it sort of fed into it when you were like, oh, I haven't seen him do much dramatic stuff. I was like, yeah, no, oh, yeah, I haven't hilarious. either. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Right, last ditty, and then uh, we move on. Honestly, I've read, I've been reading Douglas Adams all my life, and I've read most of, like, all of his stuff multiple <laughs> times. I have read City of the Dead, and, um, but the best one is Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. That's his classic. Yeah, 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 I agree. Like, and the Dirt Gently uh, novels also are really, 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 really good. But, um, yeah, so very quickly, I missed something out. So, to quickly whiz back to Tom Baker, there was a story mm-hmm. called Sharda uh, in the Tom Baker era. Um, it's a great story. It's about uh, the doctor. It's all set, it's always, it was all filmed in Cambridge. And mm-hmm. the doctor goes and visits a retired time lord in Cambridge who, who lives at one of the universities to collect a book. Um, to collect a book no no no, not to collect a book he doesn't know the books there but basically the the time lord who lives in cambridge has a book that is has a lot of power and it's yeah. um taken from him by mistake and then the doctor and romana have to try and help him get the book back because it's a book that could end the galaxy basically and oh. it's a great story but the problem is um there was a strike at the bbc and they never got to finish the story so it was actually oh. a lost story. They filmed quite a lot of it. Um, they filmed quite a lot of the um, like the exteriors, but the studio stuff, they didn't film a lot of it. But um, the BBC recently uh, animated it, and it's fantastic. Oh. So they animated it. The, all the original actors came back to do the voice work for it. So um, it's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So um, When did they do recommend. all this animating? Oh, they're still coming out. They've just announced two animated Doctor Who stories for twenty twenty one. Okay, the, the and when stories we spoke about earlier? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when did they start doing this animation bit then? Um, I think they started maybe I want to say probably about six, maybe seven years ago. Oh, okay. So recently? Yeah, very recently. Oh, okay. And, and the they animation, managed to get right, the get back the original. Recently. Sorry, they managed to get back the original actors for those. And for, or for this for, episode for the, you were talking about. Yeah, so for this episode talking about they because they didn't have a, a an off screen recording, they had to get the actors back to do the voices. So they got Tom Baker back. They got wow. you know Lala Ward back. They got John Leeson who played Canine back to do the voices for the animation. But with the other with the other animated episodes, they have the off screen recordings from the TV yeah. stories, so they don't need to do that. Luckily, because yeah. they're all dead, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, so we've just regenerated uh, Peter Davison. Then we're going to move on to Colin Baker, who's the sixth Doctor. Uh, probably the least popular Doctor, although he has got a new lease of life on audio. I think his Doctor actually is the best on audio because um, Colin Baker's an amazing actor, but he just didn't get the the, uh, the scripts, really, in his era mm. of Doctor Who to do justice. But he was in a story. My favourite story from his era is The Two Doctors. Uh, they brought back uh, Patrick Troughton. Um, ah, as okay. the doctor in one of the stories so it's the doc so it's um, another story that they filmed abroad so you've got colin baker as the as the current doctor uh patrick troughton um the sontarans and it's all filmed in seville in spain so it, it looks beautiful oh beautiful 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 uh then doctor who got cancelled oh no so they cancelled doctor who and there was a massive, massive uproar from the general public. Uh, mm-hmm. The Sun ran a massive campaign, Bring Back Doctor Who. Uh, Michael Grade, who was the um, who worked at the BBC at the time, just did not like the show at all and said, there's absolutely no way that I want it to continue. I think it's rubbish. Uh, so there was a massive campaign to bring it back. And they said, OK, we'll bring it back, um, but in a limited run. So they did this thing where they it was called The Trial of a Time Lord. And it was four stories all linked together with this like trial theme. The Doctor was on trial again for his right. life, basically. Yeah. And the story played out and uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's star studded. There's loads of like famous people in there. They killed off Perry or did they? No one quite knows. But I think uh, in my mind, they killed off Perry in a very horrific way. She was a companion that had been in the show for like three years. So it was mm-hmm. quite a shock for them to do that. And then they brought in Bonnie Langford to play the new companion, which everyone was like, what? Bonnie Langford? She's a panto (laughs) actress. She did really well. She was she was excellent. I I love her as Mel Bush um, in the show. And I liked her on audio as well. So, yeah. So after what year are we up to? We are in 1986, I believe. Okay, we are in 1986 now. So um, Trial of a Time Lord finishes. The ratings are okay. So the BBC said, okay, well, I've, got, I've got this ultimatum for you. We'll bring back Doctor Who to do it for another season. And they're like, okay, that's fine. But we want you to get rid of Colin Baker. Um. So basically Colin Baker was fired as the Doctor. Mm. He wanted to continue. He wanted to be the Doctor like, for as long as Tom Baker did, I think, because he loved the part. But yeah. um, they fired him, basically. And he got so upset about it that he refused to come back for the regeneration scene. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's not so good. The regeneration, of, the regeneration of the sixth Doctor looks stupid because it's basically Sylvester McCoy, who plays the seventh Doctor, in the clothes and a wig of, of Colin Baker, laying <laughs> on the floor with loads of special effects around him. But you can see that it's not, you know, Colin Baker. Yeah. So it was pretty much a botched botch job. But luckily, and I, I always refer back to Big Finish Productions because I think they're amazing. They did an amazing story um, on audio called The Last Adventure that gave Colin Baker a real good send off for his doctor. Yeah. So that's really good that they did that. Aww. So we're now, in, we're now in Sylvester McCoy, which I probably think that Sylvester McCoy is definitely um, up there with John Pertwee as my favourite doctor of the... Uh, classic series because he's the one that I remember watching the most because my brother loved him because he was my brother's doctor and my brother's like quite older than me he's seven years older than me 
So he was my brother's doctor. And I loved Sylvester McCoy. They decided to bring back this really massive, like, dose of uh, mystery about the doctor again. This is when it brings up the, uh, the question of Omega, Rassilon and the other. You know, who is the other? Uh, yeah. who Who's, like, there at the dawn of the Time Lord Society. Yeah. And uh, there's loads of hints during Sylvester McCoy's time that the other is the, is the doctor. Yeah. Uh, there's a great, uh, my, one of my favorite stories, I would say, about um, uh, in the Seventh Doctor era is Remembrance of the Daleks, which is set in 1963, which explains mm-hmm. what, why the doctor was in 1963 in the first place in the very first Doctor Who story. Ah, okay. And why is that? So the Doctor um, basically stole a weapon from Gallifrey yeah. and, and wanted to hide it on Earth. It was called the Hand of Omega and he wanted right. to hide it and bury, bury it on Earth so that it could never be used. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, um, someone tracks it down on Earth and it just happens to be the Daleks. Nice. So um, the Doctor has to go back in his seventh incarnation and finish what he started in the very first Doctor Who story, which I oh. think is so freaking neat. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have to remember, there's 25 years gap between the first story and this story at this point. And yeah. they're sort of finishing off storylines that were that were so long ago. I freaking love it. Yeah, that was um, really cool. Yeah, they have a... a 25th anniversary special uh, called Silver Nemesis, which brings back the Cybermen, which is a bit meh. The storyline's a bit shit, but it's mm. like an anniversary special, so they just camp it up, which I, you know, if you know me, you like it when they camp it up. Um, and then we go into the final season of the classic series, uh, which has um, two of my favourite stories, The Curse of Fenric and Survival, which are really dark. And at this point, the Doctor's travelling with a, with a companion called Ace, and she's a streetwise kid. You know, she has a baseball bat. She, like, beats up a Dalek with a baseball bat at one point. <laughs> she's completely fearless. She doesn't give a shit. You know, she answers back at the doctor. She uses, like, very modern, like, vocabulary at that time. And there hadn't been a companion like this. And a lot of people say that if it wasn't for Ace, there wouldn't have been a Rose Tyler because Ace was, like, the blueprint for Rose. Do you know what I mean? Rose, like, this really yeah. feisty you know, modern girl who was not like teenager who was just going to take no shit whatsoever. And she never yeah. called the doctor the doctor. She called oh, really? him the professor, which used to wind him up. <laughs> she used to call the doctor professor because she just didn't see him as a doctor. She saw him as like a learned gentleman. So she used to call him professor, yeah. which is more of a student teacher relationship, which I thought yeah. was really nice. Oh, so yeah, she funny. did that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think maybe we do need to do a part two because I don't want to rush the new series. No, I've got, I know more about the new series and I'm going to have a lot more questions. And I think, like, I can go through my favourite assistants and, and favourite doctors and learn more about yeah. things that I know a little bit more about already. So I, I think, Excellent. I think this can be the, the sort of classic era. And then we do another. Have you um, learned a lot from this? Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah. It's been really, really interesting. Um, oh, especially knowing no, the news. I would have been like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't enjoy it at all, Keith. Let's not do this again. <laughs> um, I yeah, I think we should schedule an, another chat and talk about the oh, newer we'll series. Really mm. Guys, give us a clap if you've enjoyed this. 
And if you'd like to see us do a similar format for um, the next, uh, for the classic series, uh, not the classic, we were on the classic, the new series, sorry. Yeah. So if you'd like to see we... us do more. Oh, we're getting claps. Yay! Yeah, awesome. okay, that's fine. Okay, I'm here for it. Right. I'm queer for it. We'll do it. <laughs> so so we've um, got... I want to finish off the, the classic era. So yes. um, survival, survival was the last story. Survival actually has a very strong uh, gay lesbian undertone to the story, oh. which uh, the, the, the writer wrote. They've downplayed it slightly in the actual story itself, but it's still mm. there. Do you know what I mean? So there was um, yeah. Ace and another character had a sort of very co- a close connection, which uh, the writers openly said that they wanted it to be um, like a sexual attraction. So that would have yeah. been really interesting if Doctor Who had gone on. They were planning the next season of Doctor Who uh, when it was cancelled. So they had stories ready to be made. Yeah. Like ready to go when they cancelled it. And these stories, if you want to, if you're interested, you can read up about them on um, on Google, but also Big Finish Productions. Hi, guys. You're listening. I need free shit. Um, they <laughs> actually uh, made audio drama adaptations of that missing season, which is really good. Really good. Like, you know, they bring back a lot of the um, the actors from that era, you know, um, like the Brigadier, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but what I do like is in the very first story of the following season was going to be Ace's last story. And it turns out that the Doctor was actually training her up to go to Gallifrey to to join the Academy on Gallifrey and train to be a Time Lord. Ah, okay. So that was the reason behind the whole teacher and um, pupil relationship was the fact that he wanted her to go and become a Time Lord. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, And um, why was this season, why was it cancelled altogether? So Michael Grade finally got his way. I think he'd said he'd give it three more years and see what had happened. But the right. biggest problem, and they did, and I still believe they did it on purpose because the last like season of uh, Sylvester McCoy's was so strong. Every single story in that season was an absolute blinder. Do you know what I mean? Doctor yeah. Who was heading towards a really strong future with this writing team and this, and um, it was going to be glorious. So what did the BBC do? They decided to put it on opposite Coronation Street. Right. And you had a a soap like Coronation Street, which was a massive ratings winner at the time. You put that on against that, there's no chance. There's no No. chance it's going to get the ratings that it needs to survive. So the BBC deliberately um, did that to to, to end it, really, because they didn't. They didn't see it as important. They thought it had yeah. won its course, but obviously fans were watching it going. But it's it's getting it's really good now. Like it's really good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's really stepped up its game. So they ended it, and then um, just to quickly round off this era. So I remember this is my earliest memory of Doctor Who being very, 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 very like small, and them saying that they were going to bring Doctor Who back as a TV movie. Um, and they did with uh, Paul McGann as the Doctor. They regenerated Sylvester McCoy at the beginning. Um, yeah. the, the story was basically that um, the Master had been executed by the Daleks. And as a last request, he wanted the Doctor to come and collect his remains and take them back to Gallifrey. Right. Of course it's a, of course it's a friggin' ploy, isn't it? To get yes. inside the TARDIS and, and steal it and everything. So... It does that. It's a very American production. It was actually made by Fox, 
20th Century Fox. Oh, okay. Um, so it's a big budget, you know, TV movie. It was meant to be the pilot episode to a series. Uh, unfortunately, the ratings in America were really bad, but the ratings in the UK were really good. But that didn't, um, you know, spur them on to do the series at all. Paul McGann, I think, is incredible um, in that he's amazing. He's just really fantastic. Eric Roberts, um, Julia Roberts' his brother, plays the master. Um, really? Very, yeah, very interesting oh, okay. choice. He's very, very flamboyant, very, uh, very camp with it, which I really quite liked, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just like a rip roaring adventure, you know, all set on. Remember, this is 96 that this came out. Yeah. So I would have been I would have been seven. Yeah. Six, seven when this came out. So I was watching it on the TV, literally the most excited I'd ever been watching it <laughs> because it was just it was big. It was glossy. It was set on like the Millennium Night. Yeah. So like something the time was going to turn itself inside out on the millennium the master was doing some plan that was going to you know fracture the like fracture the planet and steal the doctor's tardis etc etc so it's a rip-roaring adventure does it work not really but um what really pulls it through is paul mcgann's performance as the doctor um excellent and paul mcgann now has been the doctor ever since then but for big finish productions he has his doctor has continued for the last 20 years wow he's been playing the role of the doctor for 20 years on audio and anyone who is a big uh, fan of the series will know that um that paul mcgann got the ending that he deserved on the 50th anniversary when they did a very short episode and brought him back to regenerate him into uh john hurt the war master which is a really good place to sort of pause i think yeah wow really good what I will say, guys, if you love Doctor Who, the classic series, but you've watched all of the episodes and you just want something new, do go and hunt out those audio adventures because they're, they're not audio books. That's, that's what I really want to stress. They're not someone reading you a story. They are, if you close your eyes, it's like watching a Doctor Who episode on the TV. They have full cast. They have sound effects. They have music. Do you mean it sounds like you're listening to an actual proper episode of Doctor Who? So. Wow. And there's a lot of it out there. This company have been going for 20 years. You know, they churn a shit ton of content out and it's all really, really good. So, uh, yeah, no matter what doctor you like, you know, they, they've even uh, recast some of the doctors with people that giving amazing performances, like to yeah. sound slightly like them. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, definitely get out there and check out the big Finnish production stuff because it is top notch. Awesome. Right, we've got um, six comments to get through and then I think we'll we'll finish because you've got another show Absolutely. to do, haven't you? Awesome, do, let's go. Thank you. Matthew Perry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> he's never going to let me live it down. apologise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Keith, this is like an amazing topic. Uh, you two, Ava. Doctor Who. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to think about this one, but... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I've literally given the potted history of the whole classic series of Doctor Who. And I just, I just want to remind people, I'm not doing this for my own like ego. I'm doing it just to show you how passionate I am about the show. That everything I've spoken about today, I've not had a single note in front of me. 
this is literally from my memory because I'm such a fan of the show. So, um, and that's just to, sh- when, just to show you how passionate I am about it. When Keith told me he was a fan, I thought, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, me, t- me too, maybe. Yeah. No. Keith is on another level. <laughs> like, if you're only just catching this chat, you need to go onto either mine or Keith's profile and listen back to the whole chat. You will learn so much, much about uh, the classic series. Um, and yeah, it, it's it, it's been it far exceeded my expectations, Keith. Oh, really? <laughs> in a good way, in a brilliant way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I yeah. think that this is a good this is a good foundation for when we chat about the class. Uh, sorry, the new series, which you obviously know more about mm-hmm. because that's your that's your Doctor Who. But I think that what this has done has laid those like foundations for you to understand like some of the origins of the stuff in the new yes. series, which makes it a much more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and probably when we go through the newer series, you'll be like, oh, that tied back to the classic series when this happened. I'll be like, oh, did it? That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah really looking forward to it. Right, next, uh, next comment. Oh, my favourite episode with uh, Six is uh, him up against the, the Veil Yard. Is, uh, yes. The Veil Yard is a very interesting character in the Doctor Who lore. Sure. The the Valiard is the guy that's persecuting the Doctor during the trial. But at the end of the story, you actually find out that the, that the Valiard is the Doctor, but he's a dark amalgamation of the Doctor between his thir- like 13th or 12th and 13th regeneration. So he's like the Doctor's oh. dark side, basically, which wow. is really interesting. The Valiard plays prominently in Big Finish Productions. Hashtag send me free shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, this is such a great question. Um, my favorite episode, I think, would well, there's too many, but one of the most iconic ones was uh, Blink, um, where David Tennant was the Doctor, and I'm trying to think who his companion was at the time. Actually, it um, Martha Jones, I think it was. I think it was Martha yeah, Jones he was Martha, with. But it was when they introduced the weeping angels and the doctors were stuck in a different time universe and they were sending videos into the sending making videotapes so yes the person watching the video could figure out how to solve the problem to help bring the doctor back or send his tardis back to him it was such a uh, complicated episode but it was just so great because the weeping angels are just so terrifying as creatures and Ah, oh, I, I think I'm just going to have another binge of Doctor Who tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Brilliant. come and join us when we do. We're going to schedule the new series talk very, very, very shortly. So uh, please come and join us, King, for um, for that, because I reckon that you could definitely get involved and teach us some few things about Doctor Who from that as well. You seem like a big fan. And Blink, yes, is one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever written. Most definitely, 100%. yeah. Donna Noble has left the library. Donna Noble has been saved. <laughs> oh, yes. Again, we'll talk Donna about it in the next chat because Donna we Noble will. is oh my, my absolute favourite assistant ever. That story, that story as well is a, uh, is a pinnacle moment in Doctor Who history with the introduction of River Song as well. So yes. we're definitely, we're definitely going to get into that. Yeah. My button isn't working. Tom mm. Baker is the only Doctor Who. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs>
Absolutely. <laughs> was it you that was Thank saying something about a jelly baby that um was it in the classic series about um they yeah, threatened so- yeah, in the script, it said that the Tom Baker had to threaten a guy with a knife and say that he was going to kill him if he didn't let him go. And Tom Baker just refused to do it, saying that the doctor wouldn't do that, uh, which is a true story. So he decided that he was going to replace the line with, if you do not let me go, I'll kill you with this deadly jelly baby. <laughs> which is, which is genius. Yeah. Absolutely genius. Okie dokie. Awesome. Let's have a look at the next message. <laughs> Keith, isn't it true? I think the the original ones with William Hartnell, from what I heard, the the first one that's available that like I guess survived that you can still watch, the one that takes place in like a pyramid or a ziggurat, like in like uh, South America or something like that, is actually like the sixth episode of that series. If that's true, I mean, have you ever heard about the other ones surviving in any like the episodes before that? surviving anywhere yeah pretty much a lot of that first season of doctor who exists apart from a story called marco polo which was a a story about marco polo which doesn't exist at all but uh, i think the one that you're thinking of the pyramids might have been the the aztecs which is a story that does um exist in its um entirety but yeah the first three i think it's the first three stories um also exist in their entirety as well Awesome. Right, last comment, comment and then we're uh, we off. Oh, and for any of your American listeners, um, they did do a version of Doctor Who here in the 90s called Walker, Texas Ranger. Check it out. Walker, Texas, kiss my ass. No way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, um Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm scooting over to have a chat now with Aqua Scorpio about festive horror movies. So if you are interested in coming and joining me to discuss festive horror movies, to, you know, really see in the festive season with a with a sleigh. Did you see what I did there? Um, <laughs> then please do come over and join me. Uh, otherwise, I just want to say, Ava, thank you so much for listening to me blabbering on for the last two hours. I, I I hope that you got something out of it. Um, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed it, Keith. Amazing, and we've got a good we've got a good basis now for uh, when we head on to the next talk, which will be about the new series. And uh, I'm really interested to hear your take on a lot of those stories as well. So yeah, definitely. So make sure you follow me and Keith, and um, and you'll get a notification hopefully um, for when our next chat is. But um, Keith, I hope you have a a great time. Thank you. It'll be very shortly. Uh, Don't worry, guys, because I want to. Yeah. I'm on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, have a great you. time with your next chat. But um, see you soon, Keith. Thanks, Take Jeff. care. Love you, Emma. Take care. Darling. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast live. Don't forget, you can get involved on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send us an email with any suggestions or recommendations, you can send those to filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Thank you very much. And I hope that you join us next time here at the Films I Love Most podcast. (laughs) 